This is Intersection, I'm Matthew Petty. The theme of this year's Come Out With Pride event in Orlando is Unified by Pride, which Executive Director Tatiana Kiroga says represents an incredibly diverse community. Kiroga joins me now. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So tell me more about the theme. What is it that you want to highlight specifically about this community here in Orlando? Well, we know that our community you know, locally and also just overall, the LGBTQ plus community is pretty diverse. We we have a lot of commonalities, obviously, but then we also have a lot of differences. We know that within our community, we have several folks who live in different intersections with different, you know, identities, uh, be it, you know, uh, being in the trans community or community of color or even their lived experience. Um, so we, you know, we realize there really is a lot of diversity that comes within our own LGBTQ plus community. And on top of it, we know that over the last, you know, year and a half, two years, we've we've really gone through a lot of struggles and there's there's been really a good amount of uncertain times that we've all experienced. So we really look at this opportunity of being in person, this in-person celebration for all of us, you know, to come together, to be in this safer space, to be able to celebrate who we are, celebrate our heritage, our culture, celebrate a chance to be our authentic selves. And we realize that, you know, that's really the importance of pride is creating this space for folks who don't normally have this love and this freedom and this inclusivity in their everyday lives. And so that's really one of the reasons why Pride Essential is really so critical for our community because it, it really gives, gives us that chance to be in a way that is several members in our community don't have that. Thinking about the pandemic too, specifically, Tatiana, how is this year different from last year? as far as come out with pride. Yeah, it's very, very different. And even, I mean, we can chronicle even 2019. We know in 2019, we didn't know anything. We had a great time. It was a huge party. We had over 185,000 people join us for Pride that year. And then obviously last year with 2020, we had to go ahead and uh, do a quick shift of programming. We were able to pull off two virtual events um, to virtual shows that we were very proud of. Um, And then on top of it, we actually got very innovative and we came up with a 17 mile car caravan throughout Orlando. And that was something that hadn't been done in other cities to celebrate pride. And it was a really great opportunity for us to still have the community feel like they're connected to us, be able to see those who support us. And clearly 17 miles gave everyone the opportunity to socially distance in in the best way possible. But yet there was still something for folks to go out and look forward to and have that feeling that you're not alone, that you're part of a community. So we knew that that was great for 2020 but we wanted more for 2021. And we realized that creating these spaces is so critical for our community that this year, keeping in mind all the safety, safety is really our number one priority for our volunteers, our attendees, you know, and our participants. And realizing also within our community, we have folks who are immunocompromised. So we wanted to totally make sure that that safety is number one. And at the same time, create this space for people to celebrate because it's just so needed. 
So I would love to tell you that we're picking up right where we did in 2019, but we're not because the world is totally different now, <laughs> you know, right. years later. So we are moving forward in the safest way we know how. We have constant conversations with the city of Orlando and Orange County government to make sure that we are following all of the CDC guidelines and recommendations. We're asking folks to please wear masks, even though they're vaccinated. We're asking to please socially distance, hand sanitizers, COVID vaccines will be provided and available. One of the accommodations that we did this year is we actually have a longer parade route. So then we're encouraging folks that even if you had your most favorite parade spot, you love that one spot that you go back to every year, we're asking folks to kind of be a little more creative possibly and look for spots that are less crowded because we created that on purpose to, to make sure that everybody feels comfortable. So yeah, so we're looking for, for it to be an incredible in-person event. We still have plenty of people that are coming to the parade and to the festival, and, and we're just so thrilled to be able to be back in person. Just thinking about the idea you're referring to there of community coming together and visibility too, and given the fact that last year was a bit different for everybody, not just the LGBTQ plus community, but I wonder, Tatiana, if you feel like this community has maybe experienced the pandemic a little differently just because it is difficult in normal times to create those spaces and even more so in a pandemic when everybody's basically stuck at home. How has it been for the LGBTQ plus community? Most definitely. You know, as as marginalized communities, we know that they disproportionately get affected um, when it comes to crisis and just overall experiences. And so we know that the LGBTQ plus community had been affected even when it came from there's limited healthcare resources, there's job discrimination, housing discrimination, you know, all those things happen at a higher percentage for us. And even knowing that we have so many people in our community who are entertainers and performers and gig workers. And so knowing that so much of the Central Florida economy is based on gig work, that alone was something that greatly impacted us. We also saw some major concerns when it came to LGBTQ plus youth, because they were the ones who were stuck at home. And best case scenario, they were able to have a very supportive and affirming family who were still able and willing to have those social outlets for them. But we know that some LGBTQ youth, unfortunately, do not have that and experienced some major problems with having to to be in the closet or having to be in unsafe environments because they were with family that were not supportive. And same thing can happen with adults also. So it was additional stressors that affected the LGBTQ plus community when it came to the pandemic. And I think that those are still things that we're recovering from. There have been some challenges on the political front too. In June, the governor, for example, signed the Fairness in Women's Sports Act into law in Florida that bans transgender women from high school and college sports teams that align with their gender identity. Just reflecting on some of those challenges, I guess, over the last 18 months, how do you see that and how much work is there still ahead in the quest for equality? That that was actually a huge blow, and, and particularly to have it come happen in June, which we know is the historically Pride Month. And so to know that that not only was it attacked to the trans community, but it was attacked to the to the youth in the trans community um, was mind blowing. And to know at the same time that the governor um, did funding cuts 
for organizations such as the Center and Zebra and knowing that those fundings were literally going to on the ground efforts to be able to directly support the LGBTQ plus community really was viewed as an attack to to the community. And so where we as a social justice movement have made some great strides, looking back from Stonewall that happened in 1969, and, and here we are, Pride started as a riot by black and brown trans women. And to know that so many years later, now it's evolved into a celebration. So that alone is an evolution that speaks magnitude to where we are as a movement. But to know at the same time that our trans youth are still under attacks definitely speaks to the fact that we have a lot of work to be done. Again, we've made strides, we have marriage equality, but then you have basic attacks like like that came with Florida. So it's one of those that we can't necessarily let our guard down because of who's in the White House or, or you know, where, where we are um, politically right now or the climate. It, it's one of those that there's still a lot of work to be done. And especially when it comes to our more vulnerable siblings that are in the trans and gender non-conforming communities. We realize that they're the ones who experience more violence and they're the ones who also experience the most discrimination. So it is our job as allies to make sure that we are present for them. And I think that's one of the things that you're highlighting this year, right, with the National Trans Visibility March. Talk to me a little bit about that march and what that represents. I am so, so excited by having the National Trans Visibility March partner with us this year. I mean, it is, it just fills my heart to know that, you know, here is this, this national organization picked Orlando to be their first location outside of DC to come and join our pride celebration. Uh, You know, I think that's absolutely huge. I think it speaks volumes to the community here in Central Florida and particularly Orlando. It really validates all the work that we're doing to see that us as a city, as a community, you know, we've got pride flags all over downtown right now. It's it's a huge celebration of the LGBTQ plus community and, and inclusivity and diversity. And to see that a national organization saw that and then wanted to come down here and celebrate that with us, I think is absolutely huge. I am also excited by the fact it really gave a chance for our our local trans leaders and particularly those of color to be able to shine and help with the steering committee and the planning of the local events. It was wonderful and so just so exciting to see so many leaders answer the call and to be able to have them build their space and be able to highlight the incredible that work that they're doing here locally. So again, I'm so thrilled to have them join us on Saturday. They're going to have a rally at one o'clock and then they have a march at two o'clock. And then they also have an entire week of programming. You were talking before too about the work of black and brown members of the trans community. And I note too that there's a performance by the Orlando Gay Chorus on Thursday, We Shall Overcome, and that acknowledges LGBT plus trailblazers of colour. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that story sort of fits into the broader narrative of LGBTQ plus rights, and particularly here in Orlando too. I think that having programming like that and highlighting that particular section of our community is so essential. Because again, like I shared, Pride was born from the riot and black and brown trans women standing up 
and really they birthed the LGBTQ plus movement in 1969 in New York. And so knowing that them just being able to, that we're so simply fed up and weren't willing to tolerate any more harassment or violence. And they just had enough and they started those riots and then that, you know, gave birth to the LGBTQ plus movement. And here we are so many years later, you know, it's essential that we remember that, that, you know, we remember our history, remember where we've been, remember where, you know, those trailblazers that, that started it all. And so I think um, sometimes the the larger LGBTQ plus community tends to forget that. Um, and, 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 you know, like any generation, you know, it, it tends to get watered down some too. And so, you know, I think that having an event, you know, such that the Orlando Gay Chorus is having and really centralizing um, not just the trans community, but also the trans community of color, I think is, again, essential because it's a huge tribute to the founders of the movement. And again, I think that what is so exciting of the fact that the National Trans Visibility March is here with us this, this year is that it gave an opportunity for those local leaders to be able to shine. And to really, you know, have their work recognized and the the visibility of their work and the the communities that they're serving um, so much more highlighted than and you know given so much more credit than they normally do get. Tatiana, what are you most looking forward to about come out with Pride this year? Well, that's a that's a tough question. This year, you know, this year is a big one for me professionally and personally. Yeah, you know, I've been in the Orlando area since '96. My wife and I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. Come out with pride has been a family tradition for us. You know, since since before my little ones were even born. And so once we were able to take our kiddos down there and come out with pride as an opportunity for our kids to see families that look like theirs, for them to experience, again, our culture and our heritage, to see people celebrate as their authentic selves, just be in moments of pure joy, despite everything that's going on. So knowing that that's already what pride means to me, and then now this year, being the executive director um, and seeing our organization grow in ways that we had only dreamed of over the last couple of years. It's really huge. This role is a new new position for the organization. We're standing on the edge of greatness because now we have a paid staffer and we're in the process of putting together our world bid for 2026 for World Pride. So we're at this point of where only amazing great things are happening for us as an organization. And to see that This year, we've got an incredible response from the community, from companies, large and small, and also community partners who want, who are excited about Pride, who want to participate in Pride. It's just going to be an incredible experience and just sense of of love and community that most of us haven't had the chance to have because of the pandemic and because of everything going on. So just being able to be in that kinship and fellowship with members of our community and and the allies who are equally standing there next to us and their support. It just fills my heart so much. Well, Tatiana Kiroga is the executive director of Come Out With Pride. Thank you so much for joining me. It's uh, been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Pride. Up next, telling Orlando's story in pictures, a conversation with Red Huber about his 46-year career as a news photographer. I wanted to show those slices of life along with the major 
events that I was so honored to cover. That conversation when we return. This is Intersection. I'm Matthew Petty. Red Huber's career as a news photographer spans more than four decades. He captured images of the highs and lows of Central Florida, from space shuttle launches to the devastation of the Pulse nightclub shooting. And his photos are now the subject of a new retrospective exhibition at Snap Orlando. Red joins me now. Thanks so much for being here, Red. Appreciate it. Thank you, Matthew. Um, Real honored to be here. And we're also joined by Patrick Kahn. He is the curator of Snap Orlando. Patrick, thanks as well. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Good to be here with you, with you both. Patrick, I want to start with you. When you think Red Huber, what is an image that comes to mind first? Well, um, a word or some type of description would be a local legend. And so this is is somebody who you clearly wanted to showcase this work, I'm guessing, for some time. Yes, we met uh, back in uh, 2016 during the time when we had the exhibition for Pulse. And Red actually had one of the images in the exhibition. And we were introduced by uh, Ryan Julison. And uh, since then, we stayed in touch. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, when Red, you know, retired, or, or just before he retired, we thought it would be a really great idea to kind of do a retrospective of his work, because it will represent about 46 years of the history of Orlando. So... We were really excited about that. It's kind of interesting to think about that, too, because in some ways this is a still kind of a young city, right? So uh, Red Huber has been documenting some of the most profound changes to the city of Orlando in his career. Indeed. And uh, it is, you know, a lot of people are going to discover Orlando the way they haven't seen it before. I mean, you can see uh, just very everyday type of environment. You can have... Uh, the Anthony Casey uh, case. You can have Michael Jackson, uh, you know, on a on a on a balloon. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so many different things that happened in Orlando that uh, Red was able to capture, and of course, the launch of the rockets, or all the different launches that uh, Red documented over many years. Red, uh, when you were approached to do this exhibition. I mean, you've got thousands and thousands of photographs in your catalog, right? So where yes. do you start? Yeah, that was that was difficult. First of all, I have to tell you something about the process of putting a show together is just absolutely overwhelming to me. I've never experienced like this. And working with Patrick and his wife, Holly Kahn, the journey of doing this has been incredible. I think people don't understand is when you do a show like this, it's done a little differently. Uh, the whole process done differently. Patrick looks at it. He looks at the images and bouncing ideas off because you want to you want to tell a story within those photos. Also, each photo has a story. Mm-hmm. But you're right, thousands and thousands and thousands. I mean, a lot of images, and it took me a while to go through them. But the process of doing that, it felt so good. And I, I wanted to uh, show those slices of life along with the major events that I was so honored to cover. You know, it's funny. You can always learn something. And I've always said that even in my craft, I can always be better. And this was I, I just enjoy this process uh, with Patrick. Is there any similarity at all, Red, to when you were working for the Orlando Sentinel, the process of picking out what photo you wanted? You know, say you knew you were going to have a photo running on the front page, like 
is is that something similar to curating a set of photographs for an exhibition? What What's so interesting about that is that when you shoot something for a story, whether it's on the front page or inside or wherever, you capture that moment that tells a story, you know, visually, and you know, you immediately kind of know what's going to tell that story. But in it's it's different in the sense of. Because you're you're trying to capture all your work, not all your work, but the work that you know speaks, well, will speak to everybody. And you know, oh, I remember that moment, or mm-hmm. wow, I didn't, I didn't know that existed in part of Orange County, in a photo. That's what I wanted to try to do is to to show you know some of the stuff back in the day, and some of the stuff recently. Patrick, is it kind of different for you as a curator working with a more of a documentary photographer than somebody who's who's treating it more as an art form? It is. In a certain way, you know, obviously, when you're dealing with a, just a purely artistic set of images, you're looking at creating a story, just a one story uh, throughout the gallery uh, through the vision of this particular photographer or artist. When it's documentary, you do need to consider each photo as an independent storytelling document. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, curating a a gallery, you have to take so many things in consideration, especially the flow, you know, the way it's going to feel as you walk through the exhibition, the format, the colors, the storytelling, the architecture of the photo itself. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you also want to be a thorough in choosing the right images that give enough of a variety to kind of showcase the work of, uh, of Red. You know, 46 years, but it, as we, we just said before, there's some major events. And if we only did major events, it would be kind of like almost like too much. Mm. And then you have like the lifestyle of the everyday life, the slices of life, like uh, Red was saying, which are in between those ma- major events and give you the the fabric of uh, the the life of Orlando altogether. And speaking of that, Red, I wanted to ask you about one of these photographs. It's a, a picture of a, a barber who's cutting a client's hair on the front porch of a friend's house in a popka, and you took that photograph back in 2015. Tell me the story behind that one. That's one of my favorites. One thing's in between assignments, you know, I have to tell you this is a method to my madness here. I've always said, can you drive somewhere to an assignment? But don't drive the same way back. Hmm. Um, go to a different route. I have my windows down. Now, sometimes in the summer I won't because it's so right. hot. But I like to hear things because sometimes that will alert me of something going on. But anyways, I was going back the long way back to the paper, downtown Orlando, and um, I was going through a popka, and I'm driving, and I'm looking to the left, and I'm seeing this scene happen. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I mean, it's just – this is a barber chair sitting out on someone's front porch. Hmm. And um, here's two people waiting to get their hair cut. Now, when you approach someone, you say, hey – you identify yourself and and say, hey, this is the scene that I'd love to capture at some point. You know, I mean, you try to shoot those candids. Most of the time I try to do that, but sometimes that, you know, throws suspicion to myself and I don't want to do that. So I approached these people and everybody was a little cautious at first and I gained their trust. And I, I have to tell you that all these photos that you see, that you'll see in this in this uh, photo exhibition is 
I gain those because of trust. And you have to sometimes do it quickly. And um, I, I was just, uh, I just wanted to capture them in, in a, a scene that I just couldn't believe was happening, right? I mean, everyday life, a mm. slice of life. And the beautiful thing about this photograph for me is that you've got a natural frame, right? Like the porch is almost like the frame of a photograph itself. So it's got a certain symmetry and structure to it. You talked about, or maybe it was Patrick mentioned, the architecture of photographs. I mean, this is a very, it's very well framed up because you have that sort of built-in thing. Yeah, um, and that's what you look for too. And that was, that's an image that struck Patrick. He really liked that feel of it and seeing the, items off to the side and I had cropped in at first a little tighter and he says you know red let it breathe a little bit and let's have a little bit more um real estate on the side that can give it a little bit more breathing room and I just love this collaboration it kind of juices you up I would like to add uh, you know what the, the, the big difference kind of like keep on talking about this difference between the, the uh, newspaper and and the exhibition mm-hmm. this time uh, Red is able to see his photos on a, first of all, large-scale format. And second of all, uh, something that is very unique is that it's printed on, on beautiful paper and, and represented the way it's supposed to be looked at as a photograph mm-hmm. rather than just strictly a documentation printed on newsprint. So that, that, is, that is a huge difference. And I think Red surprised himself even you know, when he saw the results of the printing and he was in front of it and said, wow, those are my photos. You know, and that's, that's kind of like the idea, showcasing the art behind the documentary photojournalism aspect. Let me tell you something. You know, you're, you feel really lucky sometimes when you photograph an, an event, you know, or a photo or whatever. And that it gets on the front page and you get eight columns wide or, you know, a bleed from top to bottom. And you feel really good about it. But this is something I have never experienced. I've had a couple photos that have been large format, just single photos of shuttles at a couple places in town and out of town. But it is mind-blowing to me to see, you know, a 40 by 60 print. When you see it in that form, it's like, wow. Um, it, It does, to me, it gave me goosebumps. I wanted to ask you too, Red, about some of the celebrity shots in here. There's Michael Jackson in the gondola of a balloon, as Patrick alluded to earlier. Pope John Paul II walking with President Reagan. What was it about those photographs that stood out to you and you you said this is going to work well for this exhibition? Well, Michael Jackson loved coming to Orlando. He loved Disney. And one of his loves was also flying in the Rosie O'Grady's Flying Circus Balloon. And when he would come to town, it was very tough to capture these things because it was very private. He wanted, you know, and I got a tip uh, that he might be somewhere. And anyways, I got to the location and I was pretty far away and I got that moment. I think it was my responsibility as a journalist. I mean... Believe me, I'm no paparazzi, but I wanted to, you know, he comes to this town and we hear all this stuff, but we didn't have photos of him. And I thought it was really important. And someone trusted me to tell me about this event that might be happening. They weren't sure. And like there was a team of us that went down to Miami to Vizcaya when the Pope and Reagan was, you know, sitting down and spending some time together with Nancy Reagan. And my job was to stay in Vizcaya and I was in a pool situation. 
And the pool situation is I'm one photographer and there's like just a few of us. So I'm in this pool position and I'm supposed just to photograph the Pope. They were supposed to be walking through the gardens, but I didn't have that access. Right. I mean, I knew about that, but that was another tight pool, an even tighter pool. And I get a, a tap on my shoulder and someone that I knew from Orlando with the Secret Service, and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Red, come with me. And I knew this gentleman for a long time, uh, Donald Stebbins, and he trusted me enough to take me to this other location because he knew that was going to be a, a very special moment. And uh, and I said trust again. Right, right. There's also uh, Casey Anthony, of course, Central Florida listeners will be very familiar with that story. Yeah. What do you see in that photograph? Because it's a, a moment in time, right? She's been hustled off the steps of the courthouse by her lawyer, Jose Baez. What do you see in, in, in that photograph? You sort of framed pretty tightly on her face. Yeah. What does that photo tell you the story of? Well, actually, this is when she first uh, made bail. I think it was a half a million dollars. And she just got out of uh, the Orange County jail. She was with her lawyer, uh, Jose Baez. I wanted to photograph the moment, and, and I think a tropical storm, I can't remember the name of it, but it was coming through here at the same time. Mm-hmm. As they do. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, sir. And there was, I mean, hundreds of media uh, trying to get this picture of her, you know, being released. And, I mean, you could see the umbrella, and no one could really get a clean shot, and I just timed it right and came in really tight. Actually, it was, you know, a storm, but I had a flash on just to make sure I could lighten her up. And um, I wanted to see her expression, you know, and she would look frightened to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, because it was overwhelming with the media. And that's the other thing, too, is that when I showed that to Patrick and, you know, Patrick has a really neat background in the sense of an editor of a magazine, worked in California and all of, all of his experience. I mean, he said, Red, that really tells something to me. That was the thing that I loved about this going back and forth. And let me, I just want to share this with you. This was supposed to um, happen in April of 2020. And of course, 2020 was SNAP's 10th anniversary to this town, to Central Florida. And I felt really honored that he wanted my work to be featured. That's pretty special to me. Patrick, what does this exhibition mean for you now then? Are we sort of back to a, a, a new normal as far as uh, having people return to the gallery and, and also just the fact that you are now showcasing Red Huber's work? Yeah, well, thank you, Red, for uh, you know, like sharing your, your feelings about our showcase during the 10-year anniversary. I do think that showcasing it now is kind of even better because there's so much anticipation the fact that we were not able to do it last time, and now all of a sudden we are finally a year later. I mean, it seems like it was yesterday when we started planning it, and now we are uh, here, right? And it's like almost the day off. The new normal, I'm not, I, I don't know if we are completely there. There's still going to be uh, some protocols. There's still going to be time entries. I wish we were in that situation where it would be kind of, what used to be, you know, like a big number of people, we're still going to stay relatively conservative with the number of people attending. That being said, we did an exhibition opening in July, just like that, and the flow was constant. So 
I'm hoping that we'll have the same with Bread's opening. I know it will be very well attended. We have the mayor, we have the sheriff, we have commissioners, we have newscasters, and we have, you know, a lot of people from the Orlando Sentinel since this is co-presented by the Orlando Sentinel. So it is very exciting. One photograph I just wanted to, to mention to me, I don't think this is part of the exhibition, but there's a photograph read from one of your colleagues earlier in your career, Tony Lopez with the St. Petersburg Time. It's it's you crouching down behind your massive zoom lens and it's a, a an old film camera. And uh, this is where your nickname comes from, right? You've got a shock of red hair, yeah. <laughs> a shirt that is very much of its era. What was going on in that photograph? Oh, Matthew, you're killing me. Yeah, uh, that was my first. That was my first introduction to uh, rocket launch photography, and how that happened. I was a part-time lab technician, photo lab technician at the St. Pete Times when I was going to college over there in St. Pete. You know, I was a part-time, but I shot pictures for the teen uh, magazine. You know, the section. But you know, I always thought I saw things differently, and and got really lucky to be get to be there as a lab technician. And one of the photographers, Tony Lopez said, Red, uh, do you like rockets? you like <laughs> and I, space? And I said, oh, yeah, I remember watching, you know, the moon landings, you know, on TV and all that sort of stuff. And he says, well, you're going to be my grip. And I said, yeah, I'm all in. So we went over and... And just for listeners, a grip is like basically a, a kind of assistant photographer, right? Yeah, I'm assisting him. I'm, uh, you know, his gopher. I'll do anything, you know, just to learn, watch, observe. And I, I just, I got the, I got the bug. But I, ha- I have to tell you that uh, 1971, I believe it was July. So what was so interesting about that whole thing is the Apollo program was closing down. I got a job at the Orlando Sentinel, and I knew the shuttle program was coming up. And I said, man, I'm going to do what Tony did by myself. We had a team of, of people over there doing that, which it was so cool having four of us to do all that sort of stuff. But I knew that I wanted to do these remotes, these sound activity remotes because you can put those cameras out there near the launch pad and they're activated by sound or uh, or by light. But I knew I wanted to do that. So I called Tony up, and I'm a staff photographer at the Sentinel. And, you know, it's coming up to the first launch, the shuttle launch. And, and I said, hey, what can I do about this? Can you help me out? And he says, no, you're on your own. We're competition. And I love that challenge. So I came up with some sound actuary remotes. And that's back then, you couldn't really go buy them. You had to get them built. And Radio Shack had something that was called the clapper, and um, it would turn your lights on if you clapped. So I got one of those and talked to someone that knew more about uh, electronics and helped me out. But, so you basically had to sort of MacGyver your way into a, a remote camera setup to take these photographs. Correct. Yep. And that was the launch of your career, effectively. Well, Red Huber, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you again. The exhibition is Eyewitness, 46 Years of Photojournalism by Red Huber. It's at Snap in downtown Orlando. Red, thanks so much for coming in. Appreciate it. Oh, so good to be with you, Matthew. And Patrick Kahn is the curator with Snap Orlando. Patrick, thanks as well to you. Our pleasure. Thank you so much, and uh, we hope to see you on Friday. Still to come, Pachakacha, the fast-paced storytelling format that matches words and images, returns to the stage in Orlando this weekend. Hopefully a moment to, to laugh and engage and learn something new. We'll hear from storyteller Aquanza Cadigan. That's when Intersection returns.
This is Intersection, I'm Matthew Petty. Pachakacha is a storytelling format that's deceptively simple. Presenters get 20 slides and 20 seconds per slide to speak. After going on hiatus last year because of the pandemic, Pachakacha Night Orlando is back on stage at the Dr. Phillips Centre for the Performing Arts this Saturday. A Kwanzaa Cadigan first spoke at the event in 2017. He's back again as one of the presenters this year, and he joined me to talk about what the event means to him and the impact it's had on his life. Well, I think for me, my experience is maybe slightly different than everyone else's because I pride myself in, in trying to be a storyteller and, and advancing that whole genre of storytelling. So for me, Pachakasha actually fits what I love to do. Uh, from a writing perspective, it, it is very difficult to write two slides, but I've discovered that if you tell your story, the slides will do what they do behind you and you just kind of captivate the audience with your words. So that's kind of what I do when I get on stage is just let let the pictures turn on their own and, and, and make sure that my words really resonate with the audience. So when Eddie reached out to you and said would he'd like you to be part of the Pachakacha presentation back in 2017, did you know about it before then? Like, had you sort of seen the format before? I had stumbled across it on Facebook and was immediately uh, drawn to it just because I was looking for a home to actually uh, speak more. Uh, I was looking for a platform such as that. And when Eddie uh, gave me the opportunity, I was just over the moon excited. Uh, And I think a lot of people don't understand that Eddie actually curates these speeches. So he he chooses the speakers that are going to be there. So the experience for the listeners is really something that he curates and he, he puts a lot of time and attention to. So I'm really honored every time I'm asked to go up there and speak. So it sounds like this is a, a medium that kind of fit with what you were doing anyway. So tell me a little bit about what it is that keeps you coming back to Pachakacha. Storytelling. Uh, storytelling for me is, it's it's another outlet. I think people are so used to musicians and poets, uh, but there is this long lost art form of storytelling that goes back before my time and even my parents' time that I, I really am trying to preserve and make young and fun and fresh for young people. And any opportunity that I get to get on stage and show people that Storytelling isn't this boring bedtime thing that we're used to when we're growing up. It's something that can make you laugh. It can make you cry. Uh, it makes you connect. Um, and I've learned that. I've been able to connect with people from all over the world who don't necessarily look like me uh, and who don't maybe have the same uh, ideas and theories I have. But once once we start telling stories, uh, we form that bridge and that connection. I love the format of being able to have a time limit on your story. Um, And then that added bonus of having images. Uh, I think for me, when I do a lot of storytelling, I'm relying heavily on facial expressions and eye contact and and little things like that. But once you add that element of imagery uh, to storytelling, it it takes your listeners to a different space. And so for me, Pachakasha is just a really great opportunity to give my listeners a holistic uh, idea of my storytelling. Um, and that's something that I haven't been able to replicate on any other platform but Pachakasha. Just to recap, too, um, just for our listeners who may not be familiar with it, may not have seen a Pachakasha presentation or a speech, uh, how would you describe it to to a complete newbie? It is storytelling with a time limit. It is a quick engagement, uh, a quick connection with a storyteller, um, hopefully a moment to to laugh and engage 
and learn something new. Uh, I think even as as one of the presenters, uh, when we have our rehearsals, I sit down and I listen to some of the other stories that are going to be told, and I'm I'm learning something new. I'm in awe just from the different diverse views and um, stories that come from Central Florida. And so, for anyone who's on the fence about attending or have never has never attended, I would say just come out for an evening of fun and laughter and, and a good time and, and and hearing some new voices in Central Florida area that are. They're going to really leave you wild. You know, you're going to come back and want some more. Does it get easier the second time around putting together a presentation like this? It never gets easy. It's never easy. Uh, there's never a way to practice being in front of 150 people for two shows, uh, memorizing 20 slides of, of, of content. Um, it's never easy, but it's always fun. Um, and it's always a memory that sticks with me forever. Your first Pachaca Char in 2017, you focused on the clarinet and the role of music in your life. What was it that made you think that was what you wanted to, to present that time around? I was taking a look at what was happening kind of in the world at that time. I mean, we were in a different space uh, in 2017 and... I didn't want to take this head-on approach that I feel like a lot of people were doing either on social media or on television. Um, I wanted to make it something that was enjoyable and, and, and something that would resonate with people. And for me, when I think about things like that, uh, music, art, um, those kind of things come to mind. And I'm very fortunate that I was a huge band geek back in, in high school. And it's, so it only seemed natural to kind of take music and blend it into what was happening in the world and somehow leave people understanding that we need to harmonize as a people, just like we do with the instruments uh, for people that play music. It's 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 almost important that as a, as a people, we harmonize together to make this beautiful sound. And, and I think we had talked about it earlier, even in 2021, uh, we're still trying to get people to harmonize <laughs> and we're still trying to we're all trying to sing together and, and, and make beautiful music. But I think that's the beauty of life is just to continue to try and keep trying to, to get better at what you do. So those themes you referred to in 2017 and are still pretty fresh today. I would hope that in, in 2025 and when my kids are, are 21, that, that it's going to reign supreme there as well. Because the one thing that I'm learning about life is that it's constantly repeating itself. Um but I'm hoping that my stories can be a point of reference and that people can kind of turn back to the stories, whether it's on YouTube or on Instagram or whatever social media platform you use. And they can pull it up and listen to it again and just it'll take them back to a place where they remember like, ah, I remember that. And I can try something different this time because they tried it that way back in 2017. So that's kind of the hope with my stories. If you're just joining me, my guest is Kwanza Cadigan. He's one of the presenters at Pashakacha upcoming this weekend so what can you tell me about some of the other presentations that we have to look forward to um, this time around what what sort of sticks out for you we have a really good mixed bag we've we've got some storytellers that are going to make you laugh uh, we definitely have some presenters that are going to make you cry um, and then I hope I fit somewhere in the middle where I just kind of make people reflect and, and kind of think about how to move forward uh, regardless of the topics that are going to be discussed, I think it's a 
it's a fun evening for everyone to be out considering that we've kind of been locked away in our homes for almost two years and we haven't had much performance art and, and going out to the theater. So if anything, I know I'm looking forward to getting dressed up and, uh, you know, combing my hair and combing my beard and, and just getting back out in front of people and having a good time and interacting again safely. Mm hmm. And you're a writer and a performer, so do you feel like the last 18 months or so has given you a little more space to reflect and, and kind of hone some other aspects of your craft that you haven't been able to do because you've, as you say, we've been locked away for, for most of that? Well, two, two really amazing things have happened to me since the pandemic hit. I, I've become really good at giving interviews over Zoom. Um, that's one thing that has been a really good skill set I've learned over the last, you know, 15 to 18 months. But I've actually been able to go out and pursue uh, some other um, things that I've been looking to do. And one of those things were was mentoring young people. And that's kind of what my story is. Um, I was blessed that words and storytelling has taken me all over the world. I've gotten to meet a lot of amazing people. And I said to myself one day, why don't I turn around and show young people how to do what I've learned to do? And so for me, the last 12, 15 months, that's what I've been doing. Uh, I've partnered with the Boys and Girls Club in Paramore, the Levy Hughes Center, and we have 12 kids. And I've taken them through a program uh, called Well Said, and I'm teaching them to, you know, eye contact and vocal variety and body language, just teaching them skill sets that I've kind of learned on my journey, and I know it's going to help propel them, uh, you know, once they start getting into high school and college and so on and so forth. Do they have to do a presentation at the end of that? We are working on a showcase because I, I definitely want to show the world as well as the community uh, that they come from all the amazing things that they've been doing over the last 12 weeks. And just seeing their growth has inspired me to kind of come out and and, and do my story on Saturday because I think the world needs to know that there's a, a lot of young people out there that want to make a change and want to make a difference. They just don't know how to start. Um, and, and hopefully I've given them the start that they needed, given them the push and the start that they can to start making some change. Are they going to be watching your performance too on Saturday? I've, <laughs> I was talking to Eddie about that. I would have loved to get some of the kids to come out and see the show, but... Um, it is it is uh, in the evening time and, and we are trying to uh, adhere to a lot of the COVID protocols. And so they are going to miss this one, but maybe we can do something special for them uh, one off. I'm hoping I'll talk to Eddie about that. <laughs> Kids can be pretty tough critics, though, right? There's sometimes there's not a lot of filter when they when they give feedback on things. So that could be an interesting experience. <laughs> I've learned that in adults as well. Um you're, you're absolutely right, but I think we need to expose our young people to more things like that, right? Let them experience uh, storytelling and and getting up on stage and, and having that fear and fright of, of, of nerves. I think that's a good thing that we don't expose our kids to all the time. Maybe once a year when an oration contest comes around, but uh, other than that, they're pretty much on their gadgets and they're isolated and, and don't really communicate as much unless it's a text. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping we can change that. 
And thinking back to Pishakacha too, or coming back to that, I mean, there's really not much between you and the audience, right? It's you and a microphone and a stage, and that's it. There's there's not much to, to lean on. It is it is storytelling at its finest. It is jumping out of a plane with no parachute. It is trapeze without the uh, without the net. It it is just it is everything that you expect from live performance, and I think that makes it even more sweeter uh, because. We're vulnerable, even the listeners at that time. We're all vulnerable, and there's something that happens when you're in a vulnerable state. I think people mem- remember it more, um, and I know I certainly do. I Pachaka shouts always resonate with me every time I do one. Thinking about Pachaka Orlando too, it's been going for 10 years or 11 years now. What impact would you say it's had on your life, that first presentation and then thinking about you know coming back and presenting again this Saturday and just the format in general. You know, Eddie does an amazing job of curating these um, events. Uh, He chooses, you know, eight local either artists or leaders within the community to kind of come up and tell their story. And so the first thing I'd say is I'm I'm always honored that I'm chosen, first off. Uh, But I can tell you that from my first speech to now, um, the platform that Pachakasha gave me was something where I was more the community kind of embraced me after my story. Let's just put it that way. I I went from being someone that people hardly knew to I got a couple speaking engagements after Pachakasha. Uh, People started recognizing my name. Um, It just gave me a platform to highlight what I do best. And and I'm forever grateful to Eddie and the entire Pachakasha staff for giving me that opportunity. And as you said earlier, you, you learn something new about this community, right? I'm always surprised, not just in this format, but I think anytime there's a showcase of the talent that there is in Orlando, I'm kind of blown away by what's out there and what people are doing. And sometimes all you need to do is give people a stage and a microphone and prepare to be surprised and amazed. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Well, Kwanza Cadigan is one of the presenters at Pashakacha. He is an activist, an author, a humanitarian. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Matt. And hopefully we see everyone Saturday for the two shows. We have one at 6 and another one at 9. See you guys there. Support for Intersection comes from Advent Health and from our listeners. Editorial guidance from Latoya Dennis. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find archived shows on our website, wmfe.org slash intersection. I'm Matthew Petty. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew underscore Petty. Thanks for listening.